welcome to the Reef of Horse. But really, you didn't listen to the wrong podcast. This is still the dive table, but we're excited to do our first Halloween special that we are calling the Reef of Horse. All right, Nick, are you ready to jump into this? I am. I'm just here for the sound effects today. You're like the guy from Police Academy. You're just the sound effects guy. What was his name? Oh, is that the Jaws theme? That's the Jaws theme. But there was a guy in Police Academy that like his whole thing was Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's like, that was a horrible impression. That was the worst impression ever of that guy. I don't know why. I feel like that was an R R two D two impression, <laughs> like a bad. But yes, let's let's jump right into this Halloween special. All right, Nick. So I'm a big Simpsons fan. I don't know about you, but every year for what thirty something years now for the Simpsons. The longest running show ever, which is incredible. They do their Halloween special called The Treehouse of Horrors. And they tell three stories, you know, spoofs on other scary stories or they invent complete new ones uh, for their Halloween special. We thought it'd be fun to do our own Halloween special that we're going to call The Reef of Horrors. And every year we could do this where you and I are each going to tell one or three we picked out three three horror stories around scuba diving things that either have happened to us or we're afraid of things that might happen to us or are our own nightmares around scuba diving so i'm looking forward to this i'm sure there's going to be lots of editing of you know spooky sounds and and all those sorts of things but it's a it's halloween you know i'm not I'm not a I'm not a huge Halloween fan, but we should definitely do a Halloween special. All Hallows Eve, all Hallows Eve. Uh, no, I'm actually really excited about this. I I go back and forth about the Halloween. Sometimes I have fun, sometimes I don't. Um, but I, I've definitely had some enjoyable Halloweens, a couple scuba Halloweens too, which which have been pretty interesting. Uh, but I just do want to give a big shout out to the Simpsons, though. I don't know how they've done it, but that family has aged very well over the years. It's just they don't even look a day older from when they started. So, um, <laughs> just CGI or something. I don't know. Yeah, they, they uh, it's it's collagen and uh, Botox, I think. Is the, I remember is when I was the same too. age as Bart many moons ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I was drawing like Bart Simpson when it was like, nobody better lay a finger on my Butterfinger. And my mom thought, you know, oh, he's drawing. This is so cool. And then she like watched an episode. It was like, you are not allowed to watch that show ever again. And who knows which one she saw. She's like super not happy that I liked Bart Simpson. So then it was like I snuck it. You know, I snuck drawing Bart Simpson or watched it at our friend's house thing. Do you remember Bartman? He came out with an album oh, yeah, and everything. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. Bartman, yeah. It's funny to think um, about too because The Simpsons – was cutting edge TV when we were growing up. And then now you look at some of the shows that are on TV today and it's like very, just very casual, not casual, but just, it's not as like cutting edge as, you know, a family guy or a South park or something, but definitely always have love for the Simpsons. Well, good. Well, let's get into this one. Um, But before we do, I have, I have a question uh, that you were not expecting. So I'm, I'm not a big Halloween dress up person. I've never been a dress up person. Like, I don't know why it's just not my thing. And I get a lot of flack from my family about that. Especially my girls are like, you know, I'm a party pooper, all those things, but I just, I I don't know. I just don't enjoy it, but I did want to ask and I'll for fair game. I'll answer as well. After you're done answering, what was your best Halloween costume ever? Oof. Oof. Uh, I don't know. Uh, wow. Um, man, I wish I had time to prep for that question. I, I have some memorable <laughs> ones. Um, the, the last Halloween and, and it was just especially funny because, you know, as the night went on, we were at a party as the night went on. Um, 
I, you know, was getting adult party. I was getting, you know, slightly intoxicated as they say. And I dressed up basically. I was a big hot dog and it just looked <laughs> really funny. Cause at the beginning of the night, you know, I'm normal, but then just towards the end of the night, you just see this big hot dog, like stumbling around just blah, blah, you know, and, um, that, that one was fun, but, uh, I don't know. It's it, there's a couple of them. I went as a chef where I had the big stomach and the big butt and the hat one time. That was pretty funny. Um, but I can't. I don't know. I can't think of a really good one. They they're always just kind of fun, you know. Uh, whatever it is at the moment, I'm like, let's just go for it. But I guess that's what Halloween is. I'll, I'll, I might have to come back. I'm going to think about that one throughout the episode, and I'll I'll see if I can recall one that I really enjoyed. All right. It's fair enough. And uh, yeah, I, I don't, like I said, enjoy it very much. So there's not a, uh, an adult version, but one year when I was dating my now wife, so this is a long time ago, you know, she wanted to go with a bunch of friends and, you know, this is back in the day before, you know, you have kids and you get married and, you know, you put on your, your weight and all that stuff. Um, there were six of us. And we went as synchronized swimmers. So it was full on <laughs> like speedos and swim caps. And the night how it played out, we just ended up, you know, because a, a, a few of our friends, <clears throat> you know, um, wanted to go out towards a, a part of town. And we ended up in uh, on a catwalk in a costume contest, the six of us in a gay bar. Um, walking down in my speedo and swim cap, um, you know, as synchronized swimmer. So I, I don't think it's my best Halloween costume, as in most creative, or it was, but it was definitely my most memorable. And I think we got second place in the contest. I That's- don't fully remember, but we did we did well in the contest, is what I can remember at this point. And so that would, in my adult life, would be my best. But as a kid. The best one by far was one year I got to be the state puff marshmallow man from uh, from, you know, Ghostbusters. And I remember my mom tells the story all the time about she painted my whole face, you know, with the white makeup and everything so I could look like a. And it was funny because you go up to the door and you say trick or treat and they put something in, in your bag and you want to look down to see what you got. Right. What did I get? Is it Tootsie Roll? Is it a, you know, whatever. Lemonheads. What did I get? And every time I looked down, I'd spread white makeup all over my blue, you know, bib costume thing for the. And so I remember getting in trouble, like, don't look down, don't look down. I just hold my bag like, what did I get? What did I get? What did I get? Because <laughs> I couldn't look down without getting in trouble. And so that's probably one of the more memorable stories my mom. So I don't like, fully remember those things, but that was something that she likes to tell every Halloween. So uh, <laughs> it sticks out to my brain. Those so memorable moments. Puff Marshmallow Man and synchronized swimmer so and and sloppy or normal hot dog turned into sloppy joe hot dog so <laughs> so like just to to put a cap on that story and i mean you know some of some of you know me pretty well um i like to throw them back sometimes uh so we actually got had to get you know like at m- most responsible adults we got a uber ride back home and um i apparently when i got out of the taxi i just like fell right onto the ground so just the hot dog just falling right out of the taxi not my not my highest achieving moment but hey some of us have been there some of us haven't and uh that was the yeah definitely don't want to be there but i've been there sometimes <laughs> sloppy hot dog yeah, you are <laughs> Those wild and crazy moments. Well, all right. Maybe next year you can go as a sloppy veggie dog. I don't know what the different <laughs> difference would be, but you'd be fully vegan approved at that point. <laughs> all right. So let's get into this. Um, I, I'm happy to go first on the my first nightmare, but welcome to, you know, and getting our reef of whores. So. <laughs> First one for me, the first nightmare, scuba diving nightmare in our Reef of Horrors, is the cautionary tale of the closed pee valve. <laughs> <laughs> so the story here is I got my uh, my dry suit and 
I was all excited about it. And of course, you know, you, you can't pee in a dry suit and you have the, the mammalian effect when you get in the water to pee a minute you hit the water, like you, you need to, to go, right. You need to, to go to the restroom. So in a wetsuit, you know, like the joke that always gets told, there are two types of divers. There are those that pee in their wetsuit and then there are those that are, that are liars. Um, everyone pees in their wetsuit, but in a dry suit, you, you, you know, you can't cause it's sealed in there. So, you know, I remember the first time I had my dry suit and all these things and yeah, I need to get a P valve. So, um, I ended up installing my own P valve with my coach and it was a little nerve wracking to cut a hole into this, what you saw at the time, super expensive, you know, um, uh, sensitive piece of equipment, but cut a hole and put the P valve in the whole deal. We did the seal test. We did the water test. It was all good. Uh, I was really proud of myself. Like we, we got it done and you know, we didn't destroy anything. And then I remember my first dive after I'd put the P valve in and I was like, yes, this is awesome. Like I have to go to the bathroom. So we're whatever, 20 minutes in the dive. I think I was actually with you, you know, 20, 30 minutes, however long it was into the dive. And I had to go to the bathroom and I was like, oh, oh yeah, I have a P valve. This is awesome. No big deal. And so, you know, not to be vulgar, but this is the Halloween episode. You know, you, you you let go a little bit and, you know, all that. And so I was relieved myself, as nature would call. And uh, and I felt something. I'm like, well, okay, maybe this is just how it's supposed to feel. And it's like, no, that feels kind of wet. And this, this feels like I'm peeing myself. <laughs> I'm peeing myself right now. I don't know. Like, no, I have a P valve. I'm not peeing myself. You know, you go back and forth in your head, this whole thing. So anyways, at the very end of the dive, we get out and, uh, and I'm still in the back of my head thinking to myself, like, did, did I pee myself or did I not? Uh, I'm going to go with, I didn't because I'm going to have this P valve and I, I installed it and I know it worked, blah, 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 blah. And the minute you crack the next seal, you're just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I beat myself. <laughs> Definitely did it. <laughs> There's no going back. This is gross. Oh, I'm sloshed in my own pee. This is terrible. Oh, it's such a nightmare. Um, and the valuable lesson learned in that moment is that you need to open the valve. There's an open position and a closed position for your pee valve. And if you don't, in a pre-dive check, open that valve – well, you will have, as we've just talked about in this Reef of Horrors, the nightmare of the tale of the closed pee valve, where you will pee yourself and then have to walk up 50 steps sloshing in your own pee enclosed in your dry suit boots and then have to tell the tale on a podcast years later. <laughs> so that's my nightmare on, uh, on closed pee valve experience oh that's uh that's i i luckily knocking on some wood have not peed in my dry suit yes yet but because i'm sure it's going to happen at some point um but that is that is a fear of mine though because it's not definitely something that you know that's gonna happen and i feel like every time that's why like the first time you know i'm like in the water and i'm ready to go i'm just like a little hesitant to just let go, you know, but, uh, yeah, that's definitely, I can understand that fear. So tale one of the, what was it? The scubas of horror, <laughs> the horrors of scuba reef of horrors, <laughs> the reef, the of, reef horrors. of horrors. There horrors. we go. The reef of horrors. So tale one for me, what should I bring to the dive table? Uh, I am going to go with, uh, the, you know, just like most Halloweens, the creepy crawly things. Uh, when I first started scuba diving, my first class, I remember literally my first, I can't remember if it was my first class or second class, my open water or advanced. Um, I had some instructors and they were talking, you know, things, just kind of giving you some tips and tricks, things to do. And, uh, and, and this, this, did almost happen to me, but uh, very, very close. So I was in a pretty remote little island, um, just, you know, a lot of creepy crawly things all around. Um, and 
Well, actually, almost two stories uh, that I can bring to the table. Mwah. But the first one was uh, the the dive instructor in my class was telling me, hey, whenever you go to some of these super tropical just resorts out in the middle of nowhere in the jungle, you know, just whatever, um, always check your regulator. Always check your regulator. The very first thing you're going to do is you're just going to shake that regulator out because things can crawl in there sometimes. And, you know, you're just thinking like, oh, these are just stories, you know, yada, yada, yada. And no lie, uh, I was in Indonesia and it wasn't my regulator. It was my snorkel. We were about to go snorkeling just uh, around the area. The jetty was right there. It was a very beautiful area, Arborek Island. You can go, uh, if you've been on liveaboards in that part of Indonesia, a lot of people know the uh, the jetty at Arborek. It's a very popular dive site. And that's where barefoot conservation was, or is, I should say. And so I go and, you know, I grab my stuff. I grab my snorkel and I'm ready to go out. And I just look down at the mouthpiece of my snorkel. And I just see these two little tentacles just sticking out. And I'm like, what is that? And... Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I see these two little tentacles sticking out and I'm like, what? what's going on there? And no lie. It was probably like a good just two inch cockroach had just nestled in there overnight. And I was like, oh, my God, like I couldn't even imagine if I would have just like not noticed and then popped that thing in and then it just went down you know your throat or something i would have been just at, like i i don't know luckily i caught it and then um of course after that for like 15 20 minutes i was just dousing it with sanitizer and washing it in a bucket because i'm like <laughs> i'm going snorkeling like we're going and uh um so that that is a fear that almost happened and shout out to that instructor that warned me because it just kind of became a thing where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to just, you know, check it out. And I highly, highly advise um, on some of those destination dive trips, just, you know, check that thing out before you pop it in your mouth, because uh, the last thing you want is just a creepy crawly bug crawling down your throat. And then you're, you know, maybe like a foot or two underwater before, it, you know, you figure it out because, you know, you move from your snorkel to your regulator or you just pop that regulator in, pop down and blah, you know, so um and then it's it's almost along the same lines but uh same same area indonesia um a lot of times they'll just hang your wetsuits outside in like a little little bungalow or something and they always say just you know when you grab that wetsuit um i think they actually even had us do this in mexico when you grab that wetsuit just check it just kind of shake it out and so i would usually turn mine inside out before i hung it up for the next day and then uh, when I went and I was turning it inside out, I was shaking it out. And uh, I don't know if you've seen some of the centipedes in some of these tropical places, but they're massive. And I guess they sting really bad. And sometimes people will just pop that wetsuit on and they don't shake it out. And then you just have this huge centipede just like digging its claws into you. And um, that's definitely has not happened to me, but I saw one pop out and I was like, oh, man, thank God I checked that. And uh, so that's the creepy crawlers of the scuba world is definitely um, a fear. And I would love, cause I guarantee there's a listener out there that's gone through the same thing, but had it probably a bit worse. I would love to hear your story. So, you know, drop us a, drop us a message and tell it so I can talk about it on the podcast. Um, oh, that's just terrible. All of it's terrible. I have the, I've like the creepy crawlies right now up and down my skin. Just thinking about that. Oh yeah. It's ugh. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad that it didn't full on happen. That would have been a story for the ages. But uh, just check that regulator mouthpiece or any mouthpiece or your wetsuit <laughs> before you go, because it could definitely happen. Which one's the bigger nightmare between the two, the the centipede in your wetsuit or the cockroach in your regulator? Cockroach in the regulator, because then it's going in your mouth. I'll deal with bug bites all day long. But actually having a cockroach like crawl into your mouth like that's that's just I, I just can't I cannot like I I just would. Yeah, like and it's funny, too, because like that's not even pain. It's just grossness. Like I'll deal with some just horrific insect bites. But when it's just 
the the thought of it crawling into your mouth just absolutely yeah it's just ugh. <laughs> like it's not even <laughs> just, you know you just bite it's crunchy i know for a right minute, yeah but the serpentine's like it's zipped up in there you know like i don't i don't know i, I don't know I, I don't know which one would be worse for me. I, I think i agree the the cockroach in the mouth but but man i mean the what do you that's pretty easy to solve like spit yeah pretty quick open your mouth and let yeah. it go but the centipede like how would you solve that with all your gear on like and it's crawling around on your thigh oh you'd like, have to like you can't crunch just take it. your wetsuit off yeah. like what are you gonna do you you'd know have like, to crunch it um but the thing is because imagine like imagine if you like gasped when you felt the thing <laughs> crawl into your mouth and then it just went you know and then you couldn't do anything that would probably be like the best scenario just swallow oh, the God. thing dude like you like, <laughs> but yeah, oh, that's gosh, uh, so no, bad. it's 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 beyond disgusting. Like, believe me, that's why it's like I'd rather deal with a horrific bug bite than a cockroach just running into my mouth, and then I'm just like, and then like, and then when you like spit it out, just seeing it float away. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I can't. No. Ah, that's hilarious. Yeah, no, no, thanks on all of that. Yeah, that that's a that's a good one. So, just like in Texas, like check check your boots before you put them on, right? Uh, oh. Into your boots. It's that's a good. I think it's a good practice period to get into to check your gear before you put it on because who knows what's in the bottom of those dry suit. Oh <laughs> yeah, that you know if you don't hang it upside down, who knows what's crawled down in there? Um, that's a good one. That's a good. That's a good nightmare. Oh man, it's it's a it's a yeah ah, scuba mare. <laughs> scuba mare, I like it. Although it sounds like a kind of horse. Yeah, <laughs> it's a scuba mare. It's the one I ride underwater. It's the high quality, otherwise one. known as DPV. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, my my second in the reef of whores is the odd tale. Of feeling lost, and not no, I'm not referring to the the TV show Lost. I don't, I don't know. I, I I got into Lost really late, but then I did enjoy it. I like binged it for I don't know. I think it was back when DVDs were still being shipped by Netflix, and I had to ship them back and forth. You had like the DVD subscription or the online subscription, and the online subscription was pretty bad like <laughs> very good stuff and then but dvd you could get all the lost dvds and I, I think i went one at a time and lost for a while but no the feeling of being lost under the water so i've had this feeling a couple of times i wouldn't i've never been actually lost so i would say it's it's more the experience of that momentary like where am i you know that 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 brief second where you go like is this the right direction or not? But the story I'll tell here in the the Reef of Horrors was, you know, we spend a lot of time in in low vis or no vis environments, you know, training in those. And we were on a night dive. It was a particularly bad visibility evening. I was leading the dive for the team, so I was in the one position, and I had foolishly thought I had solved my digital compass problem. So I I had, uh, at the time, I had a Shearwater, uh, I think, Tarek. And I'd had issues with the compass before, but, you know, I'd talked to the shop and they said, oh, you need to calibrate. And so I calibrated and I thought, like, I finally got it. And so I, I was going to trust my digital compass. I don't know why I didn't just bring an analog back up, but I didn't. And we were mid-water. And I'm trying to figure out where we are because there's no environmental cues. It's all brown and with that glow of whatever light you have on in that moment with all the particulate in the water and silt. So you can't see anything. So literally, it's just brown all around me. And the only marker I have is my compass bearing. So I look at my compass, looking. Okay, north is that way. I know which direction I'm supposed to go. So I turn a little bit to get a heading and still pointing north. I turn a little bit more, still that's still north. Basically, any direction that I turn, it's still north. And I had that panic moment of like, 
I have no idea where the shore is, where the bottom is, where anything is because my compass is not working. And in fact, that caused a little bit of vertigo for me. Like it was weird because all of a sudden I felt like I was in a current. That's how I felt. I don't know if that's how others have experienced it. But in that moment where that panic monkey jumped up and I didn't know exactly where we were, we're midwater, there's no you know visual cues anywhere. All of a sudden, I felt like I was in the current. And I just got back from a bunch of drift diving in Cozumel and Playa. And so my body just reacted naturally to you're in a current, you know, swim through the current, swim, you know, uh, alongside the current. And so that's what my body started to do was to swim against the current. And of course, that meant I was swimming away from the team and in a circle. And eventually, I don't know how long later, you know, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, I, you know, my brain clicked in and said, hey, dummy, you know, you're in a lake. There's no hard current, Uh, you know, stop. And so I stopped. Something else is going on. Realized what was going on. Vertigo probably. Give myself a hug. Took some deep breaths. Did the chain of command. Turned around, you know. Saw the team's lights back there and was able to go back. But I've had a few of those moments, one of them being in a cavern, one of them being there, one of them being you know elsewhere, where you just have that like moment where you don't know exactly where you are. And you're it, that is for sure a massive, massive nightmare for me is uh, you know, getting lost or not knowing how to get home based on either, you know, you weren't paying attention well um, or, you know, a malfunction of a compass or or something like that for me was a frightening, frightening moment that I never want to experience. Uh, And I think Chuck No actually mentioned this when we we were talking to him. He he started, you know, sporting a sticker that said, you know, lost sucks or something like that. And and, because he has felt that feeling too. So if you ever felt the feeling of just not knowing – 100% 100% confidence in where you are in that moment. It It's scary under the water, no matter if you're in open water or an overhead environment or anything like that. It, that's a scary moment. And so that is for sure part of the reef of horrors for me in this volume. Yeah, no, I definitely being lost in general above water is not a great feeling, let alone underwater. Uh, luckily, same thing, knock on wood. Um, I have not had um, very bad moments where I, I was lost like that. Uh, I I definitely have been in some situations where I quite wasn't sure, but there was always the environmental cues or, you know, just the, the reference um, just of, of, you know, where you're at. Uh, but definitely, yeah, I definitely would not want to have that feeling, especially in a cave or even a shipwreck or just anywhere underwater. So yeah, that's a, that's definitely a good one. Uh, how can one avoid these things? Analog compass, Man, as you were saying, why, why change the, from a tried and trusty analog compass? I mean, you know, like there's no reason not to have it on the dive. So yeah, I, I, uh, I dive always with an analog compass on my left wrist and whether I know exactly where we are because I've been there a thousand times or I don't, that compass is on my left wrist and I know that's going to work you know, <laughs> unless it slams up against something and breaks. The other part is you know that your team is also diving with an analog compass on their left wrist. So if yours breaks, you can turn around and rely on the team to, to get us home, kind of let someone else uh, be the captain of that dive to get you home. So those are the two solutions to obviously if you're open water and need compass bearings in a cave and wreck environments, don't let go of the line, make sure that you're following line protocols, all that stuff, things that we're still learning and I'm excited to learn, but that's part of the huge piece of, you know, any cave training and wreck training is making sure that you can get out, that you don't get lost. Cause that's lost is a, we don't say it enough in diving, but lost is a can be a death sentence in cave diving or wreck diving overhead environments. So um, a lot of the training revolves around getting home and not getting lost. So, 
yeah, those would be my two lessons learned. Put an analog on and make sure that someone else on the team has one that you can rely on as a backup. It's funny because I I very much am all about using an analog compass as well. Uh, I've never been very much of a fan of uh, the electronic compass, but it's also funny because I am a fan of other electronic devices. You know, I, we've even talked about it on the podcast here, transmitters versus SPGs, all that stuff. And, and you know, it is the SPGs are tried and true and I feel that way about the compasses too. And, and, you know, just not, not to get off the subject or anything, but it's, uh, you know, some things you use, some things you don't and some things, cause I, I want to say that I've, I've talked to a few people that swear by the electronic compass and I, I'm, I'm just still not over that fence yet, but, um, you know, there were definitely reputable people in what they do. So I can't knock it, uh, especially, because they're using it on, on a daily basis. So uh, it's still something that I have have not been convinced, but I will definitely, yes, stick to my analog compass. And I'm sure some of our listeners out there are like, well, why not SPGs? You know, it's same thing, whatever. Um, but <laughs> speaking of Lost, uh, this this is something that has not happened to me, but oddly enough, uh, it, it, it is quite common in the the scuba verse or whatever you want to call it, just in, in the world of scuba. Um, and oddly enough, I literally just watched a movie about this last night. Uh, I didn't really want to watch it, but it was quite funny. It was it was not an older, maybe like early 2000s movie. Uh, but there were there was this couple diver there were a couple i i don't know their their uh certification level if it was just open water or if it was whatever but they actually got left out in the ocean while diving uh there was just a uh somehow a mix up on the boat the boat thought that they had counted all the people that were back onto the boat uh they just Somehow there was a mix up and then this couple got left out in the ocean. And unfortunately, it does happen more than we would like to admit in the the scuba verse. You know, it's 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 kind of a it, that, it's actually a terrifying thing to think about, you know, coming up from your dive, being like, where's the boat? And, you know, now you're literally in the middle of the ocean. I know I think last year there was a a group that maybe were out for like three or four days before they were found. Uh, so that's definitely like a, a huge fear of mine. And in the movie, um, because obviously nobody really knows what happened, but um, I, I, I get, I was a little bit slightly bummed on the, the, the story of the movie just because, you know, of course they're lost, not lost, but they're left out in the ocean the boat goes back to the dive shop or whatnot, uh, and they're just stranded out in the middle of the water. And then, oh, what happens? Dun, 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 dun. All the sharks start swarming around, you know. And no, nobody knows what happens. Nobody was out there. Um, but, you know, they kind of played it off like that's that was their demise because the couple was never found. And it was based on a true story. And But, you know, so there was obviously... Nobody was out there with the couple. I've been saying it like 15 times already. So they had to come up with some sort of a story. And I think the story, the the true story goes like days or weeks later, uh, they found a woman's wetsuit just, you know, in shreds, just washed up on the beach or something like that. And uh, so, I mean, obviously there's, there's protocols, you know, the, I think the, the, the dive, operation that you're going with you know just definitely know what's going on with them um just have some sort of you know they they always teach you in um open water that you know you have some sort of visual device have some sort of audible device um and i i I don't buy into the whole shark thing but i i have heard it happen multiple times is being left out in the water because you know the 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 divers didn't stay with the group they just kind of went off and did their own thing and um so i'm pretty good with always just sticking with the group because um 
chances are, you know, they're, they're not going to miss five people, you know, as opposed to two people. And I mean, they shouldn't miss anybody on the dive boat and who knows what really happened. I don't know the actual story. Um, I I believe the movie was called open water. So if you get a chance, check it out. Um, it's a little bit better than 47 meters down. I don't know if anybody has seen that movie. That's, that's a Halloween story of a movie. It's a horror of a story. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, open water. That That is a, a fear that I do have um, just being left out in the open ocean and then just the boat taking off. Uh, like I said, has not happened to me, knocking on wood. So, uh, I'm really going to try to avoid it as much as possible, but, uh, it does happen. So just, you know, be, be aware of that when you're booking your dive trips going out on, on your, you know, boat dives that it does happen. So don't be like, it'll never happen to me. Cause usually that's when it happens to you. Yeah. That's a good one. That, that was your, your cautionary tale. Number two was getting left behind by the boat. Yeah. That's yes. Yes. That's scary yeah yeah <laughs> i couldn't yeah. put it any other i mean though i i can't put it any other way than that would just be so scary to, to see the boat peel off or to come up and, and what gone. you where you thought the boat i mean because I, I definitely have had the experiences where you know you you jump off the back of the boat you're navigating out and it was really a lot of current and so you take a heading and you take that heading out and you take a back line. And I remember we popped up, you know, it was just a team of three of us. We popped up. Th- I was thinking, you know what, man, we're right on the boat. And we were, you know, 20 yards away. I was like, oh, man, like this is, you know, the same amount of distance it felt like. And I was doing time on the same line. But, man, the boat's, you know, whatever. It was probably farther away, whatever, 20, 50 yards away. Oh, okay. So let's go back down and we'll swim to the boat. You know, and so we go back down, off we go, we pop back up thinking now we're spot on the boat and we're 20 yards the other way (laughs) on the boat. And so it's like, you know, that feeling of just like, oh, like what I thought was supposed to be here is not, even though I followed that compass heading perfectly and the timing was perfect, like everything I could do. I remember talking to my coach about that saying like, what is the solution? Because we were spot on in terms of technique but we missed the boat by 50 yards either direction, you know, what's, what's the best way. And the answer, you know, in current at least was a DPV, you know, like the answer was, that's like, <laughs> that's the actual solution. Cause, cause yeah, I mean, you know, the currents are going to shift and all of a sudden, you know, the, you know, one frog kick doesn't equal one frog kick on the way back. You know what I mean? And, and you have these variances. And so, um, or you just tie a line off to the upline, you know, to the, to the anchor line and in a high current and just follow the line back you know what I mean? like that's that's the real way to do it if you need to if you have to get back to the upline but yeah being lost the boat leaving you or coming up in the boat not being there gosh that sounds terrifying and that, there's some devices out there that i think like that are made for that scenario they're very expensive but they're like um you know global uh signaling devices that you can activate that are supposed to, you know, send your location out to the coast guard and send a, you know, SOS and all this stuff. Um, I forget, I think they're called diver alert or something like that. Um, but it's exactly for that scenario that the boat left you behind and, you know, people need to find you. And so you activate this thing and hopefully you kept it charged. I don't know exactly how it works, but that's the, one of the solutions to that. Well, I think too, uh, with the new Apple watch, you just pop up and text somebody and then you're just like, Hey, we're out here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm surprised we haven't <laughs> talked about that yet, man. I've been meaning of, to bring you know, it up, of, but uh... there's, there's uh, a little bit of back and forth on the old internet about that little piece of it. Uh, technology, oh, just, just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that, that is a definite, fear of mine because I've actually met people that that's happened to and uh it was this group they got left out I think the the boat uh they were telling me the person on the boat just fell asleep and the boat drifted too far away the guy woke up 
kind of didn't know where they were. They popped up and literally the only reason why they, there was a search, obviously, you know, operation, but you, like you said, the currents change. So you, you think they might've gone this way when they could have gone that way. You know, you, you don't really know sometimes. And the only reason why they got found was because uh, they were somewhat close to an island and there was just like a kid that was playing and he like went and grabbed his mom and he was like, Hey, there's some, there's some people out there. <laughs> and they're like, Oh crap. And then they went and found them. And all in all, I think it was like three or four hours they were left out there. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a real thing. I mean, everything that we're talking about is real. You know, it's either happened to us or we know someone that it's happened to there's stories out there, but it's, it's, that's definitely a fear of mine to, to, that's why I'm I'm very very on top of like okay I'm staying with the group because um, there's no way they're gonna miss five people <laughs> it's just yeah, not gonna yeah. happen it's generally like I I go uh, um, the the type of dive boats that I like to go on are smaller groups I don't like the big um, the big you know just that herd 15 20 people on a dive boat and they all go out and you know. I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, so I generally go with the smaller group. So you're going to be, you're going to be noticed if you're not back on the boat. And that's why I make friends and I'm loud just because they're like, where's that loud American guy? <laughs> like he's, he's not on the <laughs> boat. He must still be in the water. <laughs> that's why you wear pink wetsuits and, you know, uh, tie dye wings as well. So that, you know, they remember you make yourself seen, make yourself seen. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's my third and final nightmare in our reef of horrors here. And this is meeting a very scary figure in my life <laughs> in general, but especially in scuba diving, which is, Meeting the double cramp, which means a cramp in both legs at the same time. So the story here is I literally um, have had cramps in my legs while diving. I think everybody who dives probably has had that experience at some point. And for me, I hate cramps. I mean, I don't know anyone that likes them, but I remember you know one clear moment, you know, high school basketball, travel basketball tournament type thing. We're cramped up in this van, you know, a bunch of taller kids, you know, that we just played some tournament, however many games. And I remember being stuck in this middle seat with my legs cramped up in front of me, you know, like literally or, or curled up in front of me, like, you know, we're driving however many hours home after this tournament and I got a cramp and it's just like, there's no relief. You know, you're just trying to stretch it out and you're just in pain, like, ah, in this little van and I hate them. And so the scuba diving equivalent for me and my nightmare when it comes to cramps was, you know, I changed fins. So a good note out there is, if you're using new fins or new equipment in general, you know, it's good to keep in mind that there's new muscles maybe getting engaged. And so the possibility of cramps or something like that happening are greater. And so I had new fins and I remember I was like, Oh, I like these. These are cool. Whatever we were going to, I think we were on the dive together. It was a long time ago and we were, headed down i think producer daniel was with us as well and we're going to um that old uh paddle wheel boat that was this the paddle wheel wreck and i remember we got down there and and um you know i went to just do a, a back kick you know to stop and uh whatever we we're gonna do and the minute i you know even did the power stroke on the on the kick both of my legs cramped at the exact same time. And I remember just that feeling of like helplessness of, oh my gosh, just, you know, I'm going to sink to the bottom and die. <laughs> I found that moment, you know, cause I can't, I can't kick. I can't do anything. I'll, you know, you're just going like, ah, through your regulator. And, um, it took me a minute just to get a hold of myself when that happened. Cause it's so surprising and sudden to just establish some buoyancy you know, um, make sure that I was good with that. 
And then I was like yelling through my regulator at Daniel, like, you know, cramp, 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 like, you know, like, you know, my leg, my leg. I remember him stretching one out and then he's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, <laughs> do the other leg, do the other one. Like, go back and forth, go back and forth. And while, of course, <laughs> he was the only one that realized what was going on, he and I, everyone else was off, you know, it was gone. So eventually, obviously, you know, they went away and we were able to continue the dive and, and what have you. But but one cramp in one leg is bad enough. But when it happens simultaneously in both legs – Man, that was a a very unpleasant nightmarish moment under the water, which uh, which I did not enjoy one bit. So, there's my number three of the on our reef of horrors was cramping in your legs at the same time. Oh man, I uh, I feel like like yours are over or under the water. I just, I just don't want to deal with either because <laughs> yeah, cramps are not. Not fun. Just, yeah, especially when there's nothing. I mean, because there is, there's nothing you can do sometimes and you're just sitting there like in like agonizing pain. And then now on top of it, you're under the water. Not, not a great feeling for anybody, I'm sure. But yeah, I don't, I, 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 uh, it's funny because I, I don't definitely agree. I don't think anybody out there likes cramps, but if you do, Give us a shout and let us know because I would really like to hear why <laughs> why you do. <laughs> that that would be a new one. Maybe there's that, that you one know, fetish out there somewhere that's, oh, I love those cramps. I feel like Daniel's that guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's out there. But, I, I don't know. Oh, it's I'm probably sure. got a yeah, formal some, name too. Yeah, there's there's some weird things going on out there in the world. Um, Crampophobia. So my... No, that's, that's a phobia of <laughs> that something. That was a fear, like, yeah. It'll be like Tramponelia. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Let's edit that part Message out. Message us. Let <laughs> us know. Let us know. <laughs> I want I want you to be on this podcast and tell us why you like cramps. Um which so, by the way, so real quick, Nick, before you jump into yours, because because I think it's good you've been saying, well, what's the solution? So I, I tend to have be prone towards cramps for whatever reason my body is. And you think it's like about hydration, which hydration is a, is a part of it for sure. But what changed the game for me, and I haven't had a cramp since really, has been fueling my body for the dive. So eating things like, you know, brown rice or sweet potato or, you know, things that have complex carbohydrates that have a low burn rate. But thinking about, oh, I'm going diving tomorrow, I'm going to eat a bunch of brown rice for dinner tonight and have a sweet potato for breakfast or whatever it would be. Um, or I've also found the like cliff bars eating that a couple hours before a dive um, has been good because it's slow burning cal or, you know, or, uh, um, carbohydrate. So for me, it's the combination of, of hydration because I was doing all the hydration stuff, but still cramping. It was when I added in the nutrition piece of just fueling the dive, um, the cramps I haven't cramped since. So if you're out there and you're prone to cramps, you know, consider, you know, there's some really good research on endurance athletes about cramping and, and what causes them. It's not just, you know, you didn't drink enough water. There's a bunch more going on. And so fueling plus hydration, uh, nutrition plus hydration was been the solution for me. And I, I tell all my coaching students, like, you know, make sure you're planning, your dive in a sense that you're planning to eat for the dive too. So you don't experience the cramp. So there's the, there's the nice wrap up to the story on the solution. If you <laughs> experience cramps out there. So when I say bananas are good for cramps or is that something you'd else? have to eat potassium? Like, I don't know. Potassium is good, but elect this is a potassium is electric and an electrolyte, but you'd have to eat a lot of bananas to, to have any sort of difference in cramping. So it's not. So if you're you know, curious, George, then yeah, you're good. Curious, George, you're good. You're not going to cramp, <laughs> but you can have other issues. Uh, how, how does, how does beer the night before help with cramping? No, I'm totally kidding. Uh, but I don't think dehydration. it helps at all. Yeah. <laughs> it helps. It helps to cramp. Like if you it want helps. to cramp, go for it. It helps my state of mind. It helps my state there of mind. Go. And that's the most important thing. Um, 
Okay, my last fear is another one that affects many, 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 many people around the world. And there's actually um, in or outside of diving, uh, and it's been happening quite a bit, or I've been seeing it more on the news. But this is an actual fear that goes through my head every single time, even the way that I pack my stuff is I have such a fear. We all have diving equipment that we're traveling with, right? So we have expensive diving equipment. We have all the you know little toys or whatever we're going to bring on our trip. And my biggest, biggest fear is lost luggage. <laughs> when you're traveling, all of your dive gear, and, and, and not all of your dive gear actually, because even when I pack for dive trips these days, I always, always will at least bring my regulator and my computer on my carry-on luggage because I'm like, if no matter what happens and I need to get out there and I still want to dive, I'll go rent a BCD, whatever I need to do. Um, at least I have this. At least I know my breathing is going to be good underwater because it happens to to anybody just on trips. And I know that uh, there is... There was a huge thing. I think even right before I moved to Malaysia, there was this huge story where a certain airline lost like 5,000 pieces of luggage or something. And just people were stranded. It actually happened to a, a, a group of friends of ours who just went to Spain. They literally land. They weren't diving. They were out there just traveling, you know, for a wedding, just, you know, enjoying Spain. Landed in the first two days. They didn't have their luggage because the, the, the airline just misplaced it somehow. And it's very common. It happens to all of us. So now imagine you're on this dive trip. You just paid all this money. Um, you go somewhere and boom, all your all your gear is gone. Like that is an absolute nightmare that it's still there's nothing and there's nothing. There's no feeling that can take that away. There's nothing that can take that feeling away, I should say, for me, because it's always going through my head the whole time I'm on the plane. And actually, um, I've I've solved it a little bit a little bit but it still wouldn't it wouldn't fix the problem if it got lost but uh air tags are apparently the thing these days which i found out about because everybody was losing their luggage i was about to move to malaysia and literally i brought four bags just stuffed with dive equipment i literally was like okay what dive equipment can i bring to malaysia uh and all my dive gear was in there. I was like, you know what? I'm not diving out there. So I didn't bring the regulator in my bag because I was like, I'm just moving out there. I need to bring my scuba gear. And I'm just like, what if they lose four bags? Or, you know, I, I get worried sometimes like, oh, someone's going to steal something. Someone's going to, I don't, I, that, not as much somebody stealing something, but just lost luggage. So I got air tags and it was actually quite nice to be honest with you. Um, I was able to track my bags as I went. And, um, which was nice, you know, so at least e even if it was lost, I knew where they were, but just, especially cause I know some people they'll, you know, they, they maybe will take that, that week off of work and they want to go somewhere super nice and exotic. They're going to pack their dive gear and then you get out there and you're planning for a dive. And then all of a sudden you don't have your gear. You don't even have your clothes or anything that you were planning on bringing because of lost luggage and, that is a huge, huge fear of mine that I still haven't been able to shake the feeling of because every time I hop on a plane and I'm bringing gear, I try to bring as much as I can on the actual plane with me. But, you know, I think most places are like 15, 20 pounds that they only allow you to carry on. And it, so you can't carry much, you know, and usually I want to bring my camera. So I'm bringing that and then I'm like, okay, regulator, computer, let me get like a couple items of clothing um, but then like the BCD or when we were traveling to Mexico, the dry suit, just, you know, I'm not carrying on my dry suit. Um, and you know, just whatever, but that, that's a huge, huge fear of mine. So that's, that's going to be my last, uh, my last scenario, horror story, uh, fear or what do you want to call it? Whoa. <laughs> no, that's a good one. Uh, that's a good one. I, I've had that happen to me. So my gear didn't show up. My gear bag didn't show up uh, one dive trip. And luckily it got there like late that night and I was able to dive the next year, day. And luckily also I didn't have to be in the water the next day. So I was, it was more of a, of a, you know, I was doing some other courses 
that didn't require the water in that moment. But yeah, there's nothing like sitting there at the carousel, the baggage carousel, and watching everybody else get their stuff one by one with that nervousness of like, where's my, and then there's that relief when your stuff finally comes down the little chute, you know, and you're like, Oh, okay. It's here. But man, everything leading up to that is just nerve, you know, just nerves, nerves of like, did it show up? You know, why not? Um, where's my stuff? And, and that's the, that's part of the problem is you have so much time to think about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, the whole time. Waiting for your luggage to come out. Yeah. 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 So that's a good one. The air tags are a good one. Um, other than that, man, there really isn't any way that you can, you could uh, prevent your lug. I mean, get to the airport in enough time, which I know you get there like seven hours early. So you're never, you're never <laughs> in, in any sort of, uh, but still, you know, jeopardy there. Still yeah, though. It's, but, it's I mean, that, that can be a yeah. contributing factor. Um, but yeah, I just, cause even if you get there early, like it's, it's all about, I, I don't know. It's just, cause it's happened to multiple people, non-diving, diving. And I just, from the minute I hand my bags over, to the second I get them back, that's all on my mind is, is it going to reach it? Is it going to reach there? Am I going to get it? What happens if I don't? And um, diving, I know there's travel insurance. Some, some, some travel insurance out there will cover that, but it's still not going to, you know, there, it's not going to fix the fact, you know, that, like I said, if I have to, I'll go rent a wing if it's that important for me to dive. If it's just a fun trip, I'm like, okay, whatever. Let's go rent a wing um, or jacket, whatever I need to do. At least I got my regulator and my computer. I'll be good. Uh, but yeah, it's just a fear that I have. And, and even anytime I'm traveling, you know, most of the time I'm like, ah, whatever if I lose stuff. But we spend a lot of money on this dive gear. The last thing I want, you know, last thing I want is for it not to show up, you know. Imagine if you were traveling yeah, with DPVs, totally. dry suits, all this stuff, and it just yep. doesn't show up. You're like, uh, yeah, yeah you're not going. Yeah, you're, you're not going. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good one. That's a really good one, and I definitely have been there before. So, all right, well, uh, this has been fun. The the reef of whores. I was waiting for your uh, sound effect there. <laughs> the Reef of Horrors. That's right. Um, awesome. Well, I think this has been fun. And, well, I guess the only thing left really to say is happy Halloween to everybody out there. I hope that you have an awesome Halloween. If you're into the dress-up thing, awesome. Have a great time. Send us your pictures of your costume or whatever you went as, or maybe you went diving in your costume, which would be fun. Have a blast carving those pumpkins under the water and, you know, doing the Halloween special scuba dive events and all those things. I hope everybody from, from, uh, from myself at least has a great and safe Halloween. And if you've got kids that you cherish those moments, cause man, it's funny to see them all, you know, they get, they get the costume on and all of a sudden the attitude just goes right with it, right? Whatever they are, they are in that moment that they become it in the costume. So it's always uh, fun for me to watch the kids turn into whatever. I think I've got a unicorn, a witch, and oh my youngest, my youngest is going to be a banana. That's what she wanted to be. <laughs> I don't know why? She's like, what do you want to be for Halloween? She's like, a banana. You're like, you're two years old. How do you get this level of humor already? And sure enough, we got her a banana suit. And and I taught her the it's peanut butter jelly time, you know, dance. <laughs> Two-year-old. So here she is in her banana suit saying, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly. <laughs> I just lose it laughing. So it's, uh, it's going to be fun for me to see them do that. So happy Halloween, everyone, for me. Um, and, and thanks for joining us on the, the Reef of Horrors. Happy Halloween, uh, everybody, to you as well. Be safe out there this year. Don't be me. Don't be the the stumbling over drunk hot dog or be that person. It's up to you, but I suggest not to. It's never fun the next day. Uh, but yeah, just be safe out there. Um, it's definitely, I always enjoy Halloween. It's always a good time. And uh, yeah, enjoy those any of those events that are going on because I know that they do have the 
the underwater uh, pumpkin carving, the bring your costume. Um, I was I was hoping that you know you guys were gonna throw on some little shindig on the Tuesdays because it's it's the day after Halloween, I guess, but something to where you you know maybe have a little costume contest on those Tuesday night dives. It would be I guarantee a lot of people are gonna show up and be like, I'm a diver. That's what I dressed up as. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would be. <laughs> but yes, be safe out there and uh, be safe out there and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. We hope to have you back on the next episode of. The Dive Table. <laughs>